Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody uh, this morning. Hope everybody had a uh, had a good week as we continue our look at Ecclesiastes as we uh, continue to move forward on the plus side. Uh, I guess you might say is uh, ironically we're going to start out with the idea of kind of silver linings, but the uh, on the plus side uh, today we are the first class we're going to get away from. What we've been talking about for the last number of weeks, which is all of the activities in life which are just meaningless. So uh, we're going to finally move into uh, the, the last pieces of Ecclesiastes. We have three weeks left. We have this week, uh, next week, and the week after that. So uh, that we're going to be talking about how can we live a, uh, basically how should we live, and if everything is just meaningless, how should we live? And how can we live an enjoyable life if that is, uh, if that if everything is just meaningless? So we're going to be uh, talking about that again this week. We'll be looking again next week, and probably uh, a little bit into the week after that in our in kind of our conclusion. So, uh, so first of all, tell me of a a bad. I'm sorry, a good thing that emerged from a bad event. We often call it a silver lining. So what, uh, let me give you an example. It can be something personal, something local, or it can be a major event, like a big event. Give me an example of a, of a, of a good thing that happened from a bad event. Right here, when uh, May 3rd hit, this, this church was very big on public unity all over the place. This, this back here, you couldn't even get here because the boxes were literally stacked to the ceiling. And uh, semi-trucks were coming every day to, 40-pound boxes to uh, hand out to families for a family of four, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was huge. All right, so we had uh, silver lining being uh, this this building, this church, this congregation having a being a, a central focal point for after the, the uh, one of the tornadoes that came through, and uh, definitely something good that emerged out of that. I know uh, just to kind of tie into that, I don't know if it's the same instance, but I know. Part of the reason that building across the way was built was for that uh, purposes, uh, for the idea of, uh, it was designed with that in thought, in mind, of being able to help in disaster relief. When I first moved here, the building burned down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they built a brand new building, and uh, any, any church that wants to burn a building down for me, I'll, I'll start attending that. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, Ryan, absolutely. Nothing specific, but you know, if you if you start looking into it, you will find so many innovations came out of war. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, uh, just a few, and these are obviously, I was kind of thinking on a bigger, uh, uh, overarching idea. Um we, uh, for example, uh, the, the use of atomic bombs in World War II in Japan, uh, one of the silver linings that came out of that was that due to necessity, uh, they were able to study and perfect the idea of bone marrow transplants. Unfortunately, that was due to necessity because of what happened, but that is something that has now affected millions of people across the world uh, because of that. Um, we know that uh, the Great Depression caused a massive amount of construction and financial research and other things that would eventually uh, delve into uh, decades of success across uh, across the world. Uh, we know that one of the primary factors that ended the Great Depression was World War II. Uh, so uh, there are definitely uh, some interesting ideas when it comes to silver linings 
it's and it's important to remember that silver linings do not negate the horrors of a bad event. All right, they don't. It's like, well, you know, a good thing happened, so that means the rest of it really wasn't bad. That's not what that means. What it means is that it gives us something to kind of latch on to. It gives us something to to look at and realize, okay, there is good in creation, even whenever man messes it up and uh, and does bad things, that we can find the good in that. So, you know, we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at everything from labor or, or toil all the way through death and everything in between, all the different pieces in there, and we have been made pretty clear that all is vanity and striving after wind. And uh, simply said, nothing under the sun is has meaning when we look at the big picture of life. So, uh, you know, we've seen over and over again that the only real meaning we can find is the search for God, the search for uh, a relationship with Him. And so, you know, it's our hope in something better, something down the road, something outside of this life under the sun that is what gives us this, this hope anchored in heaven by Christ. And this is what gives us meaning. So, but as we're here, if all the activities of life are uh, vanity, then how should we live while we're here? If it all seems meaningless, then how should we live? So today, next week, and probably a little bit of the week after that, we're going to be looking at a series of suggestions that uh, Solomon gives, or the Ecclesiastes gives, on not only what we can do to have a productive and enjoyable life, but also how we can use that as a model, how, how that is a model of our the life that Christ and the, the apostles and their writings uh, laid down for us. So, um, now, before we begin this, this kind of list of suggestions that, uh, that he goes through, uh, we're going to need to understand kind of the mindset that we need to have, the mindset that we need to have when we go into this search, into this look. And uh, so uh, I, I, went, I, I went with this. This is an old one. It's what uh, Brother Roper uses in his book, and uh, I, it's, it's a good analogy. Uh, basically, uh, you have to kind of look at it like this. We're all serving a life sentence. Excuse me. Sounds like it's like sliding down my shirt. We are all serving a life sentence here, and and that's it's a it's kind of an old analogy. It's the one that Brother Rope used in his book, and it's it, but it's not a bad analogy. Uh, it really is. So you need to imagine this. Think about it this way: If you were serving a life sentence in prison while here on Earth. What would you do? Hey, you were stuck there. You had no nothing you could do. What would you do? Would you just kind of throw everything into the wind and be like, you know what? What are they going to do? Put me in prison again and just act however you want. It didn't matter what you did to yourself or those around you. Or would you realize I need to make the best of a bad situation? And and there's there's two ways to be able to look at that. And since we have been in essence sentenced, you might say, to a life here on this planet under the sun then in a life that seems to be where all the actions that we do seem to be of a meaningless idea or vanity, as, a, as Ecclesiastes says, then how should we live? It may seem kind of strange because we have God's inspired word in Ecclesiastes that basically says that life is vanity, life is meaningless, everything is, is uh, striving after wind, but he also tells us we should enjoy life. So how is that possible? How can you have both things on this and now this is part of the reason it's not unusual in throughout history to find different groups specifically christian groups 
who have made it a point to be as solace and miserable as possible. And, you know, they because they believe that they should be focusing entirely on their work for God and any type of uh, happiness or anything you can do to make yourself uh, enjoyable and make your life enjoyable is just simply not okay. This is where you get the idea of, uh, we see people of the cloth, uh, priests, nuns, uh, things in that, in that idea. This is part of the reason, not the entire reason, but part of the reason why you have, uh, they do vows of celibacy, they do vows of poverty, things like that. It's not the entire reason, but that's part of what that comes from, is uh, this idea of you really shouldn't be enjoying life, or at least you shouldn't pursue enjoying life in any way, because that's not why we're here. But that's not what Scripture says. Again, how should we live? Uh, a few verses ago over this, on, in chapter 3, it says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. It also says in chapter 8, And I commend you, for man has nothing better than the sun, under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. In fact, God made us with the idea of being able to have an enjoyable life. He made us, and he made a planet, made a creation that has enjoyable things on it. So it seems to say that we should find enjoyment. Think about this. Think about this creation. Think about everything that God created. How many things out there don't need to be the way they are? Like, God didn't need to make it that way. Let's take, for example, a couple of examples that I can do, and I want you guys to, to put, feel free to throw out whatever your ideas are. But, for example, beauty. Did he need to add that? Did he need to make flowers very vibrant? Now, some people will say, well, but that's how bees go and find it. Well, he didn't need to make bees like that. So, do you need to have that? Do you guys agree? Do you need it? Is it a necessity? Is it something you have to have? There's so many things out there. but it, it doesn't hurt just because of uh, I've actually uh, heard, uh, heard people talk over the years about how say uh, different colors can kind of give you different moods and stuff of that nature so it's cut so maybe maybe the beauty that uh, of the flowers and stuff like that maybe it's something God gives us to kind of make us feel good a little bit, so you're uh, so we're just so we're not uh, not total uh, totally uh, feeling uh, feeling down. Absolutely, and you, thank you for bringing up my next point. 
So that, that is uh, absolutely yes. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people can go to uh, Arizona, and they go in, and they look out across that barren, you know, place that's just rocks, and they're like, this is beautiful. I don't get it. You know, whatever. But, uh, and, and just and another one, and this one maybe, if that one is, is hard to wrap your mind around, you might think about, what about food? You know, he could have barely easily made a single plant that grew a food cube that had a nutritious thing to it, didn't need anything else, no taste, but we could live off of it. But he didn't. He created all kinds of wonderful things that are wonderful, delicious by themselves, things you could add together. I mean, he made the ingredients you needed to make barbecue. Whatever proof you need. I mean, so the, the point is, is that he obviously, and as David said, uh, wonderfully, he obviously made things that were meant for us to pursue that idea. We were meant to pursue or find enjoyment in his creation. We have the ability to do it. He wanted us to do it. And since he made us with that ability, he created a lot of things on this earth to give us that ability to satisfy that pursuit. So as Christians, then, should we pursue enjoyment? Uh, if you look through the New Testament, there's a number of verses that talk about that. Uh, for example, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people in Luke. He says, uh, uh, he talks about, uh, Paul talks about rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is an idea that, yes, we are supposed to have joy. We are supposed to enjoy the things that are here and have happiness. So, therefore, we should not go around being sad. We shouldn't go around being negative all the time. It doesn't mean you can't be sad. It means you can't be negative. But if you spend all of your time being negative about everything or being sad about everything, then it's kind of hard to explain to someone why we have joy in Christ if we spend all of our time being negative and being sad because that doesn't really work that way. In fact, happiness is typically what separates us from the world. It's often what is, makes us different because we seem to find happiness in everything, or at least we can. This is obviously doing well today, isn't it? I don't really know what to do to fix that. Um, see, I lost my place. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so, it, but uh, it is all, it's important to remember that not only for us, but also for even non-believers uh, to, be, to be happy. That's a, that's a well-known idea. However, the joy that is expressed in the New Testament is, is not just about seeing a pretty sunset. We're not just about enjoying, you know, a, a wonderful food. It's about the joy of obeying God and knowing that one's sins have been forgiven. That's what our joy is all about. So now that we kind of understand the, the preferable mindset, uh, the, the idea that it's not that we can be happy. We're even expected to be, have a joyful idea and a happy life. Then how do we achieve that? More importantly, how do we show others around us? how to achieve that, how they can experience the same happiness. And the simple answer is wisdom. It really is. The, the simple answer is, is wisdom in this. If you live wisely, you will you can live a good life. And remember, when we say good life does not necessarily mean successful, at least in what uh, our society defines that as. Uh, the, uh, in 7 and verse 19, it says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Chapter 9, he says, but I say that wisdom is better than might. goes on to say, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. 
again, if you live wisely, we'll experience a, a good life. Again, that's the, that's the idea. So for the rest of this class, the rest of today, the rest of next week, going into next week, we're going to be looking at how we can, a, a series of suggestions of how we can actually do that. And now it's also important to remember that we are in Ecclesiastes here. So what we're looking at are suggestions. These are not commands. However, some of these are found later in Scripture, and they are commands. So it's important to remember that uh, as to, to de defining which of these is which. For example, the first one that we're going to look at definitely is a command. And uh, this is going to be the idea of fear God. Right? This is the first thing that you can do, uh, the first thing that we can in order to make your life enjoyable, to make your life uh, meaningful, is to fear God. In the final words of Ecclesiastes, it says this, In the, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And that's not the only time it says that. Throughout uh, Ecclesiastes, it says that four or five times, has the words fear God. But here's my question for you. What does that mean? What does that mean to fear God? Respect. Respect? Respect and trust. Respect and trust. Is that the uh, respect and trust? That well, God is the judge too, and I think that idea is also expressed um, okay. in Ecclesiastes and keeping in mind that there is going to be a judgment. And, um, I know we're talking about Toa, he had then turn right around and <laughs> talk about. Uh, judgment, but uh, I think we need to keep that in mind when we think about fearing God. I, and I, I understand what you're saying with the, with the idea, yes, uh, he said you know, that God is a judgment, there is a judgment there, he is the judge. Um, you know, we're talking about joy today, but uh, you know, they're talking about judgment, but what is the outcome of judgment? Once judgment happens and we have, if, you know, we have followed Christ followed what we are told to do, what is the outcome? Joy. Joy. Yes. Heaven. So I think they're definitely connected uh, for that in that for sure. So eternal consequences. And this, you know, fearing God just helps you live this successful and enjoyable life. So uh, so how do we show our fear of God? And that's, again, that's a lot of what we're talking about here. We're talking about just life under the sun. This isn't just about our personal activities. This isn't just about, kind of like last week, we kind of filled in a big picture of life. This is about showing other people, too. Like I said before, this is about what separates us from others and the joy that we have. So how do we show our fear of God? And listen to this. This is chapter 8, starting verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he, will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. If we fear God openly, and that's the key, openly, then we will do well in this life. We will have hope, because hope is in something greater, hope in a, in a, a bigger thing out there. And, and it's, it's also important to remember, though, is that it, being open with this doesn't mean that you're bragging about it. It doesn't mean that you're uh, telling everybody, look how righteous I am. But it's also very important you should not hide it. We are very much getting farther and farther into society where it is a lot more expected to hide. Society expects us to hide who we are and what we believe because if you don't, there's a very good chance that you could find yourself in a hot seat for sure 
if you don't hide what you believe and you don't hide what you think. The days of uh, that we've had here recently in this country of just kind of mixing into the crowd really aren't there anymore. And, and so now it's going to become more and more an idea of standing up and being public about what you believe. Another way that you're going to have to do this to show your fear of God is to sacrifice or vow to him. Uh, if you look in chapter 5, the first seven verses, we don't have time to read that, but if you look in that, uh, basically it, this is going to have a, a number of pieces that you can pull from to understand the idea of vow or sacrifice to him. When we offer sacrifice to God or worship him, we need to listen to him, not just talk to him. That's a very key piece. We need to be compliant, receptive, and reverent in what we do. And be thoughtful and careful in how uh, and to follow God's directions when we worship Him. And we need to pay to God what we vow to Him. Whenever we were, if you were a Christian, if you were baptized, whenever you were baptized, you pledged your life to Him. And if you haven't, you need to make good on that pledge. All right, you've pledged your life, not just on occasion, not just on Sunday morning, or just on a couple times here and there, but you need to pledge your whole life to him, and that's something you need to make good on. But the thing is, we need to remember that when we think about fearing God, this is what brings meaning to our life. Uh, God's rules, God's commands, what he lays down for us, are at least in part able to help us live a good life. And again, it's important to go back and look at this. doesn't necessarily mean successful. Good life does not mean successful life. It's like, well, I had a wonderful career, so obviously I led a good life. That's not what that means. Good life means that we are focused on God. We're focused on the path that he laid in front of us. And we are trying to do what he asks us to do every day. Solomon knew this. He knew that living successfully in life, to live wisely, to enjoy life, you should do what is necessary to please God. He knew that. Uh, if you want, you can turn over to this. And this is most of you probably know this very well. Chapter three, the first eight verses. This is the uh, the very um, powerful and concise statement on life, probably the most in the Bible. Uh, the the cycles of life. However, these cycles can, as we know, can become repetitious. They can become predictable, tedious, tiring sometimes. To go through the same stuff over and over again. And uh, it's it, the, the question really comes down in the next verse, in verse 9, where it says, what gain has the worker from his toil? You go through life, you go through all these uh, cycles of life, but at the end of this it says, what gain do we have from that? So without going into a deep study of this section of verses, we might look at it from a little more common sense kind of view. Uh, another suggestion, which would be, simply use your time wisely. There's a time and a place for everything. Use it wisely and also understand when you should do something. Solomon kind of hints at this. Uh, chapter 8, verse 5, he says, The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. You know, if you choose carefully not only what you're going to do, but when you're going to do it, right, you, it's going to be a lot more rewarding. Um, have you, or maybe you've seen somebody, you know, it's always, well, I saw somebody else do this, but... Have you ever said something, or turned something in, or hit enter on the computer, or you know, drop something in the mailbox, and the instant you did it, you're like, oh, that was the wrong time. Uh, usually it's when you say something. You say something, and you realize that was not 
my family, my wife can attest to this, my family is absolutely, you do not want us in funerals. Okay? We, especially for our own family. Right? We, I, do not, I cannot tell you how many dirty looks we got when we were standing in a side room at the, my, grand, my grandfather's church. She was an elder at, as my brother and my sister, we stood in there and we, were, we got to laughing and giggling so much that people were coming by and giving us dirty looks. That's how we, that's how we cope, I guess you might say. We understood, and a lot of people understand, there's a time and a place for everything, and sometimes just understanding that using your wisdom to understand what that is. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, marking the be- excuse me, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. The next verse, uh, looking at uh, chapter 10, verse 18, says, Though sloth, the roof sinks in, through sloth, and the indolence of the house leaks. Now, I know we've already talked about toil and work. Uh, we've already kind of gone over that idea, but it doesn't change the fact that we are expected to be productive here on earth. We are expected to, to find enjoyment in what we do, whatever that means. New Testament teaches that very clearly. Uh, Ephesians says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. 2 Thessalonians says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In the end, this is still wisdom. This still falls under that wisdom category. If you want to live wisely and enjoy your life, you need to work in an occupation or some focus. We say occupation in this country, we tend to mean, well, that's a career. That's not necessarily what that means. You need to continue working towards something, no matter what that is. Job, education, and strengthening the kingdom. Whatever that focus is, you need to be working towards it, doing something. Finding something that you can uh, focus in and give glory to God for in what you are doing. And again, we we live in a country where uh, occupation means career, and career means... And we've talked about this before when we talked about toil, but one of the biggest downfalls that I think we have in in Western world is when we hit the age of retirement. We, at the age of retirement from our career, we stop. It's like, well, but I retired. You didn't retire from being a Christian. You, you retired from your career, but not being a Christian. And a lot of times we get to that point that that's a, a very common teaching subject by a lot of ministers is trying to convince people you don't, you have to move on to the next piece of whatever that is. So um, speaking of work, though, we are also told it's never, don't forget to rest. Don't forget to find times to rest. Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Have you ever thought about this? The fact that God made rest required by the Sabbath law, part of the Ten Commandments, proves that God understands us. Imagine that. God understands us. He He understands what it is that we need. And rest is definitely part of that. Now, we don't live under the law of Moses, but we still need to recognize our rest. All right, my wife and I have uh, very much so the last year or two, especially this last year, have become much more aware of the need for rest as our daughter gets bigger. She's almost 70 pounds now. So we got our lift, by the way, just a little side note. Um, it's like a... You know, the, uh, we, I, I told, told a few people about it. We were like, yeah, I just had this vision of like a, a cherry picker and a, you know, an engine like dropping in. That's exactly what it is. I'm not kidding. It's a cherry picker. 
we have a cherry picker for my my daughter. We it's and seriously, it's like it's going. It's it's the first time my sister was there. We tried to do it. It was I have pictures. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but the point is, is that uh, respite is very important. It's a well-documented idea in American history that ever since the Industrial Revolution, uh, basically the advent of machinery and factories, that Americans have been working themselves in the ground. Right? We we definitely work more than most. It is we most of us grew up in a time period where it was expected if you're not working at least forty to fifty hours a week, you really aren't doing your job right. You can't expect to get paid a whole lot unless you're working at least 40 hours, if not 50, 60, 70 hours. Those who make high numbers of, of salaries are expected to do well beyond that because that's just who we are and that's what we do. And that is not what Scripture tells us. Have you ever known somebody who uh, is very talented? They're very good at a skill. They're very good at what they do. But they never really get to shine very much because they just don't work well with others. <laughs> Ever met people like that? Maybe you're like, yeah, me. So I definitely have that issue in some of my, some things that I have done in my life. I am a, I'm a naturally introverted person. I like to do things on my own. Uh, some of you can attest to that with even things that I've done right here and here at church. But um, it, it is a uh, something that we need to move away from. Listen to this. This is, start, this is chapter 4 uh, of Ecclesiastes, starting verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. My wife and I have that as a you know, I think we got a Hobby Lobby, one of those scripture things right above our door. That uh, a, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. To put that simply, friends can help with work, pick you up, help you stay warm, and defend you. Those are the four points that he puts into that. And because of the value of friendship, because of the value of what we he, God knew we needed, he created the church. Because that's what we have with each other. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is a this can be seen throughout the New Testament. Bear one of those burdens in Galatians. Therefore, encourage one another in 1 Thessalonians. Let us consider how to stir up one another's, uh, other to love and good works in Hebrews. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other in James. We are supposed to do all of this together. Now, has anybody ever heard of, if you have military experience, especially here recently, have you ever heard of the concept battle buddy? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, it's, I think it's reasonably newer-ish, uh, last 10 or 15 years. Uh, I think it's predominantly Army that does this. Uh, but they have a concept. I don't know if they still do. Um, I know they did for a long time. I had a couple of friends that did this when they were in basic training. But uh, they have a battle buddy. When you first get there, within the first week or two, they assign you a partner, a battle buddy, someone who is going to be there with you. They intentionally choose someone who is of a different background, a different culture, different race, different everything. Because they want somebody very opposite from you, from uh, in, in any way, shape, or form that they can find, and you are required to be with them all the time, all the time. And they even have those videos out there. You can see YouTube videos of drill sergeants like finding guys walking by themselves, and they run over and, and tackle them or whatever and tell them they're dead because their battle buddy was not with them. And the idea is this is a concept they even take into after basic training, into the field when they do these things. But the whole premise of this 
is that this is a lesson in the idea that the military is not a, is a team sport. It is not an individual idea. You cannot get along by yourself, and they want to prove to you that if you can't get along with every person who is standing next to you whenever you're in the field in war, you probably need to find something else to do. Now, if you take this idea and you tie it into what Solomon talks about, you tie it into the concept of what Christians should live, this is a pretty good theory. It's a pretty good idea as to what they come up with. You know, so often we expect every brother and sister around us to act like us, speak like us, agree with us in all things. If they don't, then they're just not being a very good Christian. And the problem is, is that that's not how that works. You see, the part of the reason the military does that, the army does that, is because there's a chance that these people could be fighting next to each other. Not all military personnel end up in combat and fighting, but they could, and they want to be able to trust the person next to them, no matter who they are, where they come from, how they talk, what they act like. They need to be able to get along with them and trust them. Here's the thing that's different between the military and Christians. We will be in fighting. We do it every day. Every day we fight against Satan. Every day we fight against sin. We will be. They have a chance that they might. We will be. We need to be able to do things together. We need to be able to trust the people around us, no matter who they are, where they come from, what their background is. And we need to be able to learn from each other. That's what scripture tells us to do. We need to reject the practice of rugged individualism. Because that is not what Christianity teaches. Of this idea of being individualistic all the time. Uh, this next section, this next little point here is very foreign to me. I don't really understand this very much. Right. Do you have a point? Yes, please. And Jesus is a good example of this. He sent out the disciples two by two. Paul was a good example when he was in prison. He goes, come to me, come to me. I need support. I need a coat. I need scrolls, uh, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. The examples throughout Scripture... Are, are overwhelming of the idea that we need people beside us. Uh, that, that God set it up that way. So, like I said, this next portion is, is a little bit uh, foreign to me. I don't really understand this one uh, very well, so you can maybe help me through it. Let me read some of these verses. Chapter 6 and verse 11. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? Chapter 5 and verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Some of you are trying to get that. Uh, in the next, yeah, so the next verse here, he goes on to say, A fool's voice with many words. Chapter 10, he says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. The fool multiplies words. Uh, the simple answer is the people that talk too much. Okay, so that is a constant, um, that's a running well, I want to say joke. I don't know. It's a joke. I don't know. Uh, for uh, uh, with that, that I, I tend to have rather long announcements um, and uh, and other things. So, but you know, you know, we probably agree with Solomon. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure we all agree with Solomon. The fact that it's foolish to talk too much, that especially if talking too much is at the wrong time. We go back to that uh, that idea of just you know the right time, the right place. Simply, it, we the, the simple answer is this: we talk too much and we listen too little. That, that's, that's often what ends up happening 
to us, if we want to enjoy life, we need to reverse that tendency. You know, there's an old statistic out there that we've probably all heard, maybe even said before, that when they talk about that uh, the typical doctor stops listening to their patients within 30 seconds of you starting to talk. Now, I, my wife and I have spent a lot of time with doctors and nurses, and the reality is we don't, we, maybe it's because of my daughter and her situation, maybe it's because of her age, we don't typically experience this, but I want to say this, I think medical professionals get a short end of the stick on that one, I really do, because I know lots of professions that do that. That is not a doctor thing. That is all professions tend to do that. Have you ever sat down with a teacher, talk about your kid, and ever get a word in edgewise about your own child? I'm a teacher. I can vouch for this. Teachers love to tell parents what their kids are like. All right? Have you ever had a plumber come over, an electrician come over, and you try to explain to them what you think is wrong? That lasts about 20 seconds before they're like, yeah, don't worry, I'll figure it out. All right? The point is, is that every, lots of places do that. But have you ever done this? You ever stood there and listened to a Christian as someone they're talking to is trying to explain to them why they don't necessarily agree with this, why they don't necessarily understand what you're saying, they don't necessarily understand why the Bible is saying something, and the Christian just sits there very politely and just kind of looks at them as they are waiting for them to stop talking so they can say, okay, no, that's not right. Let me just show you what the Bible says. They don't listen to them. They're just going to show them. They don't actually pay attention to it. It's true. We need to be true to ourselves in that, in the fact that we often don't listen either as to where people are coming from or what they're trying to say uh, on that. So wisdom would say that we need to listen first and foremost. And the last point we're going to kind of look at today is the idea of just keeping a good name. As chapter 7 verse 1 says, a good name is better than a precious ointment. Your name, your reputation, uh, what people think of you is tremendously important in how we get along in life. Now, don't confuse repu- like what people think ne- is with needing approval. Right? This idea that it's like, well, I need to do whatever I can to get people to like me. That's not. There's a difference between needing approval and having a reputation. You know, we should, be, though, be concerned about what others think of us if for no other reason than to have a better chance to influence them for good. If people think that we are hypocritical, if they think that we are, uh, we lie, we, whatever they put in there, they're not going to listen to us. So it doesn't matter what we say or what we try to teach. If we, they think that about us, they're simply not going to, they're simply not going to listen. So uh, there's a lot of places that we can, we can pull from in this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is a, uh, is a great place to look and uh, that has a number of points that you can look at. Uh, for example, uh, put aside falsehood and speak the truth. Right? That is the one that I think you've spent a little bit of time on that. That is the one that probably has become the most difficult today because, like I said before, we, we don't have the ability to just kind of meld ourselves in the crowd anymore. The idea that uh, with so many people just have the same basic belief that we do that we can just kind of be a part of that, and every so often we can interject our view of what we think Scripture is saying or what we believe Scripture to say. Uh, now it's a matter of the most people around us don't believe at all. In fact, they are willing to attack if you don't believe in the way they do. And it has become commonplace. It has become an accepted thing for you to get attacked because... Now, simply holding the title Christian has other titles that go underneath it. If you're a Christian, then you are obviously, and you can fill in the blank with all the things that you obviously are, according to society. 
So putting aside falsehood and speaking truth is one that can make it difficult. But the key is, you ha- using wisdom, you have to just stick to it. You have to show people that I, I'm not going to be swayed simply because you think that I, if you attack me enough, eventually I will change. And what you will find is a lot of people begin to respect that idea. Um, and if you, on that, take care not to let anger jump into this. You can get very angry with people because of what they are uh, saying to you or what they think that you are trying to be or what you are simply because of uh, how you live. Uh, we should uh, abstain from stealing. We should speak only words that build up others. That's another one that can be hard to do. If you um, if you show, if you ever go and watch, have you ever actually watch any of the, uh, like you get people that they do like streets where they go out and they, just catch people. Um, like I said, there's one guy that I, I've watched a few recently, and I was enjoy what he does because he, um, I think he's actually from Arizona, but he, he likes to go up to Salt Lake City and just stand outside of uh, Mormon temples and talk to people as they come out. Um, so that, I mean, you talk about, talk about a battleground, I guess you might say. But um, one of the things that he does is that he, he in his conversations, he constantly is telling them how much he respects them, how much he loves them, how much he understands and respects their passion for what they believe. And he is always telling them, I, I greatly appreciate what it is that you are doing with your life. Let me show you an alternate view, another view. And it's, a, it's something that we should do. Always speak of words too often we just ignore or we don't listen where we just, I'm going to separate because I know that person. I, I'm looking at them. I know what that, the way they're going to respond. So I'm just not going to talk to them. Sometimes building them up is what they really need to hear. Um, we need to get rid of uh, Ephesians talks about bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, and malice. And most importantly, be tenderhearted and forgiving. Be able to understand that they are, well, they have their beliefs for a reason. And if you listen to them, Right? doesn't make their beliefs correct, but it does mean that they are more likely to listen to you. I've always found that very interesting, is that uh, if you don't listen to someone, why it is you expect them to listen to you? Right? That's always, a, uh, it's always been a, an interesting thought to me. If we follow these commands, we follow these ideas, you will have the ability to have a good name. And remember, the important part is not having a good name necessarily in society, but you will have a good name with God, and you, will, you, you can have a reputation that will show that you are trustworthy, you do not, are not quick to anger, that you will listen to someone, that you will be tenderhearted and forgiving of things, and people will respond to that. I love uh, what it talks about in First Timothy when it's talking about the um, uh, qualifications for overseers, and I love the idea of above reproach. That's a... Uh, Whenever it basically, if you're if you're somebody pulls you into a courtroom as a witness, no one is going to be able to say, "Well, it's like we're not going to listen to them because of this." All right. They, uh, the idea is that we keep ourselves in a point to where we will not be able to come back and use that. I've always struggled with that, honestly, um, with the above reproach because uh, I've spent way too many years teaching 13, 14 year olds, um, and if you've ever uh, if you've ever been around that age for very long. Um, 
being above reproach with 13-year-olds is very difficult to do. Their opinion of you changes based on whether you give them homework that day. So one day, I am the best teacher that they have ever seen. They will never forget me. The next day, they will not talk to me. Won't even look at me. Hate me because I gave them homework or I didn't let them go sit by their friend um, or something like that. It's always interesting. So I've always been wary of that if I ever found myself in a situation where I had a former student come in. And depending on how we left that year, did they like me or not like me at the end of the school year <laughs> as to whether, you know, how that went. So we're going to continue with these suggestions. Uh, again, some of these definitely are commands, uh, but these suggestions as we go on in the next week. And I hope that we can always remember that the key to being happy and enjoyable life is to simply follow God in wisdom and in humility. So I appreciate your time, appreciate your comments. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we will continue next week.